Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight uh, podcast. Um, I'm your host, Todd Burrows, once again, having a little trouble getting um, my my guest in to the um, show. So I am going to call him now. It is Dan Williamson, um, and we will get there in a second. Let's see. All right, so... Um, we are inviting Dan into the show. Let's see if it works. Hello. Hey, Dan, how are you? Good, Todd. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm go. Uh, <laughs> once again, I uh, screw up the opening, but uh, frequent listeners <laughs> to the podcast should know that that has. Uh, blog talk, just people haven't been able to call in at times lately, and we always cut it a little too close to the start. I wanted to <clears throat> talk to you folks first about what we're going to do the podcast on, and then um, we'll get into it. So uh, Dan and I are, are have done a lot of best ball podcasts together. Uh, we're both high-volume best ball players, and we – also have dabbled, Dan more than I, in both redraft and high stakes redraft in the past. So I thought it would be good to do a podcast where we discuss the differences or transitioning from best ball to redraft, some of the differences, uh, things you should look for, etc. And then we will go into our main subject, which is chasing high uh, prize tournaments in redraft. And there's very different things that you want to think about for each of those three styles. We are going to be talking primarily about the tournaments on the FFPC. Our friends over at the FFPC, you can go there to myffpc.com. Uh, whether it's whether you want best ball tournaments starting at $35, $35 classic uh, traditional redraft leagues all the way up to $1,250. Of course, they are the home for the Football Guys Championship, which is what we're mostly going to focus on today. $350 tournament uh, with $500,000 up top. Uh, a lot of these things would also apply to their main event. And uh, you can even win more money with the main event. So, uh, very excited to uh, talk with Dan about these things. Dan, uh, welcome to the show officially. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun topic. 
Yep, uh, our returning champion, Dan, has been here multiple times, and it is great to have him back on the Run to Daylight podcast. So um, how's things? How's life? How's quarantine life? Uh, you're still working. Um, how How yeah. is, uh, you know, I, we're, I'm a little worried about restaurants going forward with the social distancing uh, and the razor-thin sh- uh, margins. I, I hope things work out okay for you. Yeah, I mean, I hope so too. Uh, you know, we're we're pretty well positioned in that we have a lot of goodwill uh, with our restaurant within the community. We're you know, we've been around since 1985, and so we're a, a well-known spot. And uh, you know, we just we have a lot of very regular customers, very um, strong customers who are you know in our corner, and that really helps. But um, you know, it's as you said, the the margins are thin, and uh, it's difficult to. Uh, go on takeout only, and then for a while we're probably going to be, you know, maybe 50% uh, dining room. Uh, so it's it's really kind of a uh, an in- interesting exercise in uh, how to how to kind of really almost build a new restaurant business given the uh, the restrictions that we're under. And uh, you just have to you have to say this is what we can do right now, and uh, so how do we make it profitable? And so far, we're yeah, doing pretty well with that. Pro- I think prices are going to have to go up a couple bucks on each meal uh, to make up for the fact that you can't serve as many meals. Yep, exactly. So, like, what one of the things we're doing is we're um, asking customers if they will uh, be willing to pay an extra 10%, you know, as a voluntary, uh, on a voluntary basis, uh, just to help keep us afloat. And it's been, I would say, 99.8% of our customers say yes to that. So I I, I was shocked by that. Well, when you get, you know, I think we're going to lose some restaurants. You know what? Let's not go further down this rabbit hole. Uh, I did want (laughs) to just check in to see how you're doing. Um, But we could probably do half the podcast just out on that. Uh, So I wanted to talk about first, you know, the most important thing to me, whether you're doing best ball, whether you're doing redraft, or whether you're doing tournament redraft, is what style of player are you? And specifically from a volume standpoint and a dollar standpoint, right? Would you rather play one? Twelve hundred and fifty dollar tournament, one three fifty, um, ten thirty fives. You know, um, you know what? What are you chasing? Are you, you know? Do you need to make your league fees back, uh, or do you, you know, just want a once in a lifetime shot at five hundred thousand dollars? I think that, um, you know, depending on what you how you answer that, right, Dan is going to affect a lot of the rest of your mindset. Yeah. And I think it's a super important question to ask Todd. Uh, You, you really need to know the answers to it or you're not going to uh, get the enjoyment out of it that you want. And you, you know, the, the first part is just deciding, um, you know, really what is your budget? Because I mean, you know, this is fantasy football, Uh, Nothing is guaranteed, and you need to be working with a budget which uh, you're comfortable losing everything on, because if you have a bad year, that could happen. It's not likely, but it's within the range of outcomes. 
Um, you know, so you need to be thinking about that and you need to be thinking about what, you know, as you said, what style of player are you? Are you aggressive? Do you want to go for the, uh, the big prize or are you just looking to, to try to get as many, uh, league prizes as you can and then hope, uh, something good happens in the, t in the big tournament at the end. Uh, you know, so both of those things are going to tell you what kind of a team you want to build as well. Yeah, and we'll get into that more as we go along into the e into each of the uh, particular tournaments. Uh, but the main point I want to make on this is as it relates to exposure on players, have been for the last couple years a guy who does 200-plus best ball drafts. I am really cutting back this year, <clears throat> both from a financial standpoint and because I want to spend a lot of money on – the football guys championship. And I feel that if I don't have about 15 teams, you know, none of the key things that I want to do with it, my exposures make any sense. And with that being said, whether I'm doing 15, 25, 50, 75, or 150 for each of those things, the way that I'm going to look at exposure is going to change and we'll go into that more as we go along. But any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's definitely very important. Uh, you know, you you don't want to overextend yourself. Um, and within, you know, so to start with, you need to figure out, okay, is it going to be, you know, five or 15 or 25 or whatever, you know, and you, you've kind of settled in right around 15. And so that that allows you to start making those other decisions, you know, but a couple of, just to back up a, a step, you know, a couple of things you want to keep in mind. Uh, we talked about budget. The other thing that you are also going to have to budget if you do uh, multiple of these kinds of leagues is your, your time constraints. Uh, because if you're doing a lot of leagues on the FFPC, Wednesday night is going to become uh, a very important night for you because that's the first night that waivers are open during the week. And also uh, the way the NFL schedule works, uh, you know, you get a little bit of information on Monday and then Tuesday is a really dead day information wise because all the teams take Tuesdays off and then Wednesday they're back to practice. So a lot of times you don't even really have the information you need to make your waiver claims until, you know, even late in the day when uh, practice reports start coming in and you find out, oh, this player's not playing or that or practicing or uh, we got the MRI results or whatever it might be like that. So you you really find that uh, Wednesday late afternoons and evenings um, are when you have your best information and however many leagues you have, you're going to have to get all your waivers in uh, during that time. So, you know, one of the things I, I had caution people about is if you're doing a bunch of these keep your Wednesday nights open because you're going to hate your life if uh, if you don't you're going to be rushing and you're not going to do as good a job well that and the fact that um, you know realize you know like if you're right now doing four fantasy teams and you're close to burnout but you want to chase the, the FBG a couple teams realize that you know two teams plus your four might get you to that burnout point. And the, right. when you get burned out, you're not as effective. Um, so yeah, you bring up a fabulous point. Uh, one of the main reasons, and, and let's, let's transition into the differences between best ball 
and any kind of redraft, the number one thing, the number one reason I have been a huge best ball guy, it's not that I don't like redraft or that I'm not good at redraft. It's that I don't like or have the time and bandwidth most years between daily fantasy and uh, the few teams that I've had for redraft to, to do waivers and starting lineups and stay on top of it. Uh, you brought up waivers, but the, the other thing is starting lineup Sunday morning. If you're a daily fantasy player and you've got 50 to, you know, plus lineups uh, for daily fantasy, you're doubling your workload. If there's a late, you know, 1145, all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and you've got to now change X number of redraft teams as well as X number of DFS teams. So when you consider your bandwidth you uh, and, the, and the ability to chase these tournaments, you have to also consider starting lineups, correct? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Sunday mornings is the other key time, uh, which most people are pretty, pretty used to. It's just, um, you know, one of the reasons why I was highlighting the waivers so much is just because with the, the FFPC, they all happen on the same night. Whereas if you're doing, you know, several different uh, leagues, they might you might have some on Tuesday, some on Wednesday, some might be open all uh, week long. But you're absolutely right about the starting lineup too. That's a, a super important consideration. And a lot of times we don't know until inactives are announced uh, who needs to be in or out of a lineup. So uh, again, you have to have your Sunday mornings uh, pretty available. Yep, and and you don't want to take on more than you're going to be able to fix. Uh, the other thing is, um, you know, and that's, uh, I didn't finish my other thought. It's that's why I've been such a big best ball guy is because I love drafting. I love building an exposure and using all these things that I've learned, but I don't, you know, have the bandwidth for all the things that go along with redraft. So the number one thing about the difference between best ball and redraft is you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Um, the second thing, though, about best ball is you target different types of players than you do in a redraft. Why don't you explain to, to people? We've talked about this before, but give a short uh, uh, summary of the difference in the type of players that you'll look to draft between a best ball and a redraft. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's a very important point because your strategy completely changes with uh, the best ball, given the fact that you automatically are going to get your highest scores put in. Um, that allows you to um, use players that might have only two, three, four spike weeks in uh, their season and use them effectively in a best ball setting as long as you can get them late enough. Uh, whereas in a redraft where you have to set the starting lineup, players like that are going to be super frustrating because it, seem, it will always seem like they're out of your lineup when they score and they're in your lineup when they don't score. Um, you know, and another factor too about that is the fact that, um, you know, like for example, with quarterback, um, you know, for me, Mahomes and uh, Lamar Jackson don't have nearly as much peel as, in uh, best ball as they do in redraft because in best ball I can cobble together two or three quarterbacks later who can approach something like a Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson score um, 
on most weeks, and I will be able to use that higher pick on a really good skill player. Whereas in redraft, all of a sudden that Lamar or Mahomes uh, pick makes a lot more sense because, again, you're going for the high variance, and those guys can give you some super big spike weeks. But, you know, it's going to come at the price of, you know, you're not going to have that, like, really solid running back or wide receiver that you could have taken instead. And those, you know, you've got to be more confident in your ability to, to grab somebody late in a draft that can replace that, uh, you know, that running back or wide receiver that you're missing out on. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So quarterback, a uh, couple things for me on quarterback between redraft and uh, best ball, what you just mentioned. Uh, number two is the fact that in best ball, I'll look for more high variance guys. Um, you know, at least one high variance guy, you know, Russell Wilson is a perfect example. Some weeks he's not going to throw the ball enough. Uh, another week he, he'll get you 35 points, which is crucial in a best ball. And on the weeks where he gets you 10 to 15, you've got another quarterback, hopefully getting you 20 points. Um, in, in a redraft, I'm not saying I won't draft Russell Wilson, but I'll, my exposure will be less to him because, the, you know, I, I, I gain less on the spike weeks and I gain and I lose more on the because all I'm trying to do is win that week in a standard redraft. Now, in a tournament, you know, I, I, Russell is more interesting because in the, the, those playoff weeks, you do need the spikes. The other big one uh, typically is that wide receiver where guys like Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, you know, that guy who's uh, James Washington in a best ball, I always want one or two guys like that in my team. The guy who will give you three points one week and 20 the next, uh, especially as a fifth or sixth wide receiver. In redraft, you know, having more than one or two of those guys on your team make it really hard to know who to start and you might end up, you know, constantly picking the wrong guy. Uh, so uh, I, you, you really uh, limit the number of high upside uh, wide receivers, guys who don't get seven to ten targets a week. They get four to six, but when they hit, they hit big. Uh, much better for best ball than redraft, correct, Dan? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um the other big difference overall between, and most people don't realize this, because I do even expensive 350s, and guys are backing up their quarterback. And if you think about it, there's 12 teams and, you know, only 12 starters each week. Once you start getting injuries, a lot of times you're going to be forced to drop that backup quarterback anyway. Um, unless I really am not sure about my quarterback or if there's a quarterback late that is just such a better value than, um, than anyone else I could pick. Like in the hard way last year, I picked Lamar Jackson in like the 17th round. He was just so far ahead of anyone else I had on the board, and I got lucky. It worked out good. Uh, but in general, Dan, do you agree in standard redraft leagues, you don't want more than one quarterback, one kicker, and one defense. 
Yeah, for the most part, I think that's correct. Um, you know, and again, it kind of depends on how much total capital you're sinking into the position, as you kind of alluded to with uh, Lamar Jackson. You know, if you can get a Lamar Jackson type weight, uh, you can afford to use another late roster spot on, you know, maybe uh, uh, Jared Goff or, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford is often going late in uh, in the FPCs right now. Uh, you know, but if you're if you're burning an early um, quarterback, you know, like an early roster spot on a quarterback like uh, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, you know, guys like that who you're probably taking in the seventh round, um, you absolutely don't want to be spending another roster spot later on a quarterback because you've you've already um, you're costing yourself again, you know, a wide receiver, a running back, or a tight end, um, you know, who is probably going to be a pretty solid contributor by taking that quarterback so early. So you need to have the extra roster spot later uh, to have one more shot at, at trying to get, uh, you know, somebody who can replace that production, uh, you know, who is maybe a low odds chance of succeeding, but if they hit, they hit big. So that's what you're going to be looking for if you take an early quarterback. Yep. So I, I feel that those are the two main differences between best ball and uh, redraft, uh, you know, in, uh, and the third being, obviously, if you're doing a lot of best balls, you need to be a lot more concerned about exposure. If you're doing three to 10 uh, redraft leagues, you know, you still want to be careful about not taking too much of one guy, but I'm much more, you know, let's say in the first and second round in best ball, I really don't want more than 15% of any one player. Um, in, uh, in redraft, I'm much more likely to be okay with 35, 40% of a player because it's just impossible to build a portfolio. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you want to be watching for. Um, and when you're building in a tournament situation, uh, you're going to be looking for some kind of unusual builds too, which you might not necessarily look for in best ball. Like in a tournament, I'm a lot more concerned about, uh, am I doing the same thing out of the, you know, the three hole, uh, or third draft spot that everybody else is doing, or am I doing some things to kind of change it up so that I don't have, you know, in a 10,000 team tournament, I don't have, you know, 187 teams that are very similar to mine in the, over the first seven, eight rounds. Yep. That, that's another very good point. Um, and we'll get into that more when we talk about how to attack tournaments. Uh, but that is a very good point. So the big three differences between best ball and redraft is portfolio and exposure, uh, how you handle quarterbacks and how you handle wide receivers. There's one more point I do want to mention about quarterbacks. Um, and it keeps going in and out of my mind. Let me sit here for a second and think about this. Uh, so I get it. Um, but uh, QBs in. Um, in the FFPC, here's the point. In the FFPC, where tight end is a premium, if you decide to go early QB and early tight end, now you're really going to be behind at either running back or wide receiver, sometimes both. You can make up for it some 
because in the FFPC, unlike most um, sites, you only have to start two wide receivers instead of three, and there's two flex positions. But even still, um, if you you know if you don't um, watch out for that, you can really end up being you know having way too many dart throws at wide receiver and running back. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know specifically towards the tight ends, one of the big mistakes that people make a lot in the FFPC is they take they they see tight end premium and they just automatically boost every tight end and say, Oh, this, you know, I've, I've got to, you know, take any tight end, push them up, but really you're the ones that affects the most are the tight ends who are getting a high volume of targets uh, and that's a high number of catches. Uh, you know, if, if a tight end is not getting a ton of targets, you know, and you're counting more on them to get touchdowns and yards to get their scoring, uh, you know, and they don't get that many receptions, you're going to get less effect of the 1.5 PPR out of them versus you are what you would get out of, uh, you know, so like, say, for example, Zach Ertz, who generally has a very high target volume versus a Mark Andrews, um, who had kind of a lower target volume um, and relied a lot more on touchdowns and yards to get his points than Ertz, you know, and Andrews and Ertz are going in the same place. And this is something, you know, I see a lot of people uh, taking even Andrews before Ertz, and, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not against taking Andrews, you know, for example, but I would take him after Ertz. I would I would prioritize Ertz because I think he's going to get that volume, which is going to make the tight end premium really work in my favor. Well, and also, you know, and th- this is the key point we'll get to in a few minutes, um, you have to get to the tournament, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you have to either – you have to uh, make the playoffs and win the league or be in one of the top two spots to advance to the tournament. And it's not easy to win three straight playoff weeks to get to, you know, two years in the row. I've had, you know, really good teams that, um, you know, came in fourth or fifth place and won their play- first playoff game, second playoff game. Yay. I made $500, but, I lose in the finals and I don't go to the tournament. So um, that, that's a, that's, you know, that's a key thing we're going to talk about when we get, uh, which we're going to do real quick here, get to uh, how to attack these tournaments, but you bring up a great point. Andrews is a guy I have no shares with almost at all. Great player, even for best ball. I don't have much. Um, They're adding tools. They've got, you know, such a good running game. And Lamar Jackson was just ridiculously efficient passing last year. Um, That typically doesn't continue. So, you know, not that I don't like Andrews. I just don't like him where he's being drafted. And, you know, mid third round, you know, I'll take him, but he's going early second uh, consistently. And it's just not for me. So those are the key things, uh, differences between best ball and redraft. And now let's go into how to attack these tournaments. And we just touched on that point. You know, how do you build a team that could win $500,000 versus making sure you have a team that gets to the tournament uh, and the number one thing to me with that, Dan, is back to our original point. How many teams are you going to have in this tournament? 
Yeah, absolutely. You you know, if you have a lot of darts to throw, then you can do more things with your builds um, on each of those teams, you know, to kind of differentiate them and, and try to make them unique. But I think it's important, even if you only have one or two or three teams, uh, to to at least try to make do do something to try to make them unique um, from what a lot of other people are doing. So even if, you know even if you are just putting in one single entry, you just got one bullet, you're going to fire. Uh, you know you don't want to just necessarily be a slave to ADP and just take whoever ADP says is probably the best player here. Uh, you might want to do a little bit of reaching. You, uh, you'll definitely want to grab any values that come along, but you might want to do a little bit of reaching just to kind of change up your build, um, you know, and do, you know, you might uh, do some things like, uh, you know, stacking uh, players from one or two particular teams that you feel like have a great playoff schedule or, you know, and, and when we say playoffs in these kind of tournaments, we're talking about there's two sets of playoffs, really. There's uh, the playoffs in weeks 11 and 12, which are the individual league playoffs. And then there's the, the playoffs in, uh, or excuse me, in weeks uh, 12 and 13. And then there's the playoffs in week 14, 15, 16, which is the, the championship run for uh, all the money. And, you know, really you want to look at, uh, at, at both of those and see how a player's schedule looks during that time when you're deciding, okay, I want to maybe stack, uh, you know, players from Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or something like that. Yep, and you bring up a good point. Um, only four teams in the FFPC advance to the playoffs. Um, I, I do think there's a waiver in there. If you're the highest scoring uh, point team in the league, you get a bye to the tournament. Uh, but it's pretty hard to not be the highest scoring team and not get into the top four. Um, I, I agree with that a lot. And uh, I, I think that... Uh, the exposure is very important. Uh, mixing up your builds is very important. Um, all right. So I lost my train of thought, obviously. So let's go back uh, to the, the uh, point about risk. So something that I talk about a lot in best ball that I think translates very well to tournaments is building overall risk as a portfolio. And there's a few different ways you can do that. Like Dan said, you know, if you've got 15 teams, maybe you do follow ADP with eight to 10 of them um, in the early rounds. And then the other seven, five to seven, you take a first round pick, you know, like I, uh, I, I've taken Kenyon Drake uh, as early as eight. Uh, you know, that, that could give me some very different builds. Uh, you know, so you can do it that way. You can also do it by going zero running back with certain teams, you know, heavy tight end early uh, with one or two teams to mix up your mix a little bit within your portfolio, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And you'll get, uh, you know, if you if you get a reasonable spread of uh, just what draft slots you draw, you're going to get a good bit of portfolio mixing anyway right there at least in the early rounds um but to me where you really want to think about your exposures and so forth especially if you get a good mix of um, you know draft slots is later on where um, adp matters less and people start kind of grabbing their favorite players it can be real easy to end up 
overexposed to a player that you maybe shouldn't be as overexposed to. Uh, you know, you can fall too much in love with a player, I guess is, you know, the best way to put it. Um, and you need to consider the possibility that you might be wrong and be sprinkling in some other players at that, you know, at that particular round that uh, maybe you don't like as well, but, you know, could still definitely hit, um, you know, so don't be, be aware of, uh, you know, not just grabbing your favorites late in the draft. You want to, you want to uh, spread out that risk a little bit. Yep. All right. The other thing is, um, you know, and I started talking about this blending risk in an overall portfolio and within a team. And that's something I don't think that people really understand. You know, we were talking about uh, the best ball, you know, spike week players, just because it's a redraft doesn't mean you want to have all bland, you know, 10 to 15 point a week guys. You want, you still want guys who can, you know, some weeks will give you five, some weeks will give you 20. Uh, you, you want to build in some of those players into your team. You just want less of them than you want uh, in, a, in a best ball. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. And I think specifically what you're looking for when you're trying to um, to find good risky assets in a setting like this is to look for those players who have a plausible path, um, you know, and to being a big contributor. You want that player who might be one injury away from, uh, you know, a, a huge role where they're getting a lot of targets or touches versus that player who's going to consistently be, um, you know, like, like for me, you know, I guess probably a good example would be like a, a McColl Hardman type. Um, you know, the, that's the type of player that is really attractive to me in a best ball. But then when we get to these tournament things, you know, even if um, something happens to Tyreek Hill, you know, I don't see Hardman suddenly becoming the, you know, taking over the Tyreek Hill role or anything like that. I think it's going to be a group effort of who steps up. And so he'll get a little bit more volume, but he doesn't, he doesn't have that, you know, one, one heartbeat away uh, from a huge role type thing uh, that you might find with um, another one, you know, like uh, a CD lamb kind of available in the same range. If something happens to Amari Cooper, I think CD lamb could explode. Um, you know, so that that would be one example of, uh, you know, how you want to kind of change up uh, how you're targeting players from redraft to um, to best ball and what types of risk you're looking for in the in the redraft tourneys. Yeah, I, I agree with that in theory. If not, um, you know, I see me a little different. I think that uh, his path to really crushing value doesn't depend on a Tyreek injury, it depends on a Tyreek injury, a Watkins injury, or uh, Watkins being ineffective. So I, I think, it, you're, you know, they started ramping up Mecole at the end of last year, and I expect that they'll use him more regardless this year. I don't know that we're going to see as much Demarcus Robinson, perhaps, as we did last year. And, and, and I think that Mecole doesn't need Tyreek to go down for his uh, to pay off late in the season because he's going in the 11th to 13th round as your fourth or fifth wide receiver. I think you take him real, you know, and this is what I mean by balancing risk. 
Another way to balance risk is to balance it with beginning of the season guys and end of the season guys. And this is what I mean by that. You need to get to the playoffs. You can't just draft a bunch of guys who you're hoping there'll be an injury and they'll step into a role they don't have now. Uh, You know, some of the very best players can do that, but that's because they're running 150 lineups and they're, you know, like a DFS contest, they're looking for that one or two team where they just nail it perfectly and get to the top. Uh, An average player with, let's say, anywhere from five to, to, to 50 teams, what I do is I like to have a mix of guys uh, like, I, all right, so here's a, a situation. The fact that there's not going to be as much of an offseason this year is going to make rookies less valuable than most years. And even most years, rookies a lot of times don't get going until halfway through the season. So a guy like Damian Williams or on Johnson, who are now going in the seventh, eighth round, they could have the lead role for that whole first half of the season. And if you get lucky, you know, and there's your floor. And then if you get lucky, the other guy gets hurt or they're just so effective that they keep the role. Now you've crushed ADP in the seventh, eighth round. But then having a guy like me, Cole Hardman, who's behind someone. Now, if I've got Damian Williams and me, Cole Hardman on the same team, I've got two opposing parts of that Chiefs offense. One that's more likely to give me the ability to get to the playoffs and one that's more likely to help me to win it. So um, that's how I do it. And I wanted to run that by you to see what you thought. Yeah, I agree. That's a strategy I use very frequently too. Um, You know, I think rookies are a a great way to kind of give your team a a late season turbo boost. And, you know, it's one of those things too, that you don't always need especially if they're lesser known you know rookies who may start real slow and they're not you know super hot rookies anyway like um you know like a brian edwards or um somebody like that um you know because i don't worry about draft you know if i can get them on my team when i'm drafting i'm fine with it um but i also look at players like that as players who are likely to get dropped early by impatient owners that I might be able to scoop up on waivers a little bit later. Um, you know, so if I feel like I need more help in the early season, I won't be afraid to just, you know, kind of sit and cherry pick players off the waiver wire as the season goes along, especially in the, uh, in the football guys contest, uh, less so in the main events where the main events, uh, basically the whole league tends to be sharper. So you don't see, um, teams making curious drops that just don't make sense, uh, you know, where they get frustrated with a player uh, that really has a great chance to be a contributor down the line. Um, but in the in the FPC drafts, you'll see that a lot more. So I'll take advantage of that, um, and I'll be a little I'll I'll do a little bit less of grasping towards those players in the draft, and I'll be looking to pick them up as I go through the waiver wire. If that yep. makes sense, it does. And then. Um, the other thing that's important is to, to – all right, so now you're, you're doing some football guys drafts. You understand, you know, what type of player you are. You've got to you – you're balancing your risk out. And, again, I got 
three people tweeting at me and I, I lost my train of thought. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, uh, while you're getting your train of thought, oh, Todd, I, one oh, thing no, I no, want to no. circle I, back. I, I, I got it. I got it before I lose okay. it again. All right. So the one thing that's really, really important to understand about these football guys things is how to deal with ADP. All right. So I meant to mention it after something else you had talked about. And if you, you know, we had someone in our draft yesterday who got really frustrated about ADP and he ended up drafting seven tight ends out of spite and didn't draft a a kick or a D and he goes, guys, we're going 30 picks ahead of ADP. And I said, what ADP? He goes, the one in the draft room. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, if you want to learn, the best place for FFPC uh, ADP is on fantasymojo.com. It's cheap. It's $20 a year, I think, maybe $30. Um, and it's broken out by whatever tournament you're playing. You know, you got to realize these sites, when you go and look at an ADP, you know, it's affected by rookie drafts. It's affected by classic leagues. It's affected by best ball. You need the ADP of the tournament, uh, you know, of the style you're playing. And Darren has that on his site. The second thing is you have to realize that there's a ton of sharp people playing these 350s. They're going to get their guy. And you need to learn to balance getting your guy with scooping up value. And what I mean by that is in every draft, there's some guys who go earlier than you think they will. And there's some guys who go later than you think they will. You need to know your value on players. And what I end up doing, Dan, another way I balance my team is someone will say, you reached for Miko Hardman in the 10th round yesterday. I said, yeah, I did. But there were two or three other spots where I scooped, you know, what I felt was uh, tremendous value. So that is, um, you know, that, you know, knowing, A, knowing that if you're in a draft like that, you're going to, you can't expect it to just sit according to the ADP exactly. And you have to realize that you, the one thing you don't want to do in that situation is get on the board and have nobody that you like and take someone that you don't like. And then you get to your next pick and the guy that you liked is gone again. Now you go three rounds and you've got a team that you hate and you draft seven tight ends and you storm out of the draft room without a kicker or a defense. So, um, you know, for, for uh, example, yesterday, I, um, you know, I, I reached a little bit for Kenyon Drake at one nine and, but, you know, I also got, um, Boston Scott in the 11th round, Preston Williams in the 12th, Rashad Perriman in the 13th. Um, this draft, there was no real fallers that I scooped, but a lot of times there is. So I think that's really important to mention to you've got to understand when you're in these tournaments, don't be passive and don't be too aggressive, but find a nice balance that works for you. Dan, your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, to your point specifically about, uh, you know, when you start taking guys because of ADP and because, you're frustrated that, um, you know, players that you think should be drafted already are falling. 
you just can't do that because I'll tell you what, when you try to punish the league because they're not taking the players you think they ought to take, you're going to end up punishing yourself. This, this uh, guy who had seven tight ends, he's, he's going to have an extremely difficult road to finishing uh, at the top of this league just because of the fact that he's, he's out there trying to punish everybody else and he just punished himself by drafting a team that makes no sense together. Uh, you know, yeah, he's got all the tight ends, but you know what? You can only play a maximum of three of them, so you're going to have four of those tight ends sitting on your bench. Uh, you know, and I see that mistake a lot of times, too, with, like, quarterbacks. You know, somebody will take uh, Lamar Jackson, and they'll see, well, Patrick Mahomes fell into the, you know, the early fourth round. I took, uh, or, you know, I I took Lamar Jackson and Mahomes is still there and he should be gone. So I'm going to take Jackson and Mahomes and I'm going to punish the rest of the league. Well, you can only play one of those guys. Uh, yeah. You've kept Mahomes off of anybody else's lineup, but you haven't really helped your team at all. All you've done is cost yourself a really good running back or wide receiver or tight end uh, that you could have had in place of Mahomes. So you just, you don't want to be trying to play the punish the league game or anything like that. Draft your team that makes sense to you. Um, you know, if you know other players in the room, um, and what their tendencies are, you can certainly use those. Um, you know, and a lot of times you'll see, uh, you know, players that, that play a lot of these and know each other pretty well, jumping each other for particular players. And that's a lot of times where, you know, a more casual person will say, what's up with the ADP here? Well, if you know that, uh, Nelson Sousa is going to take, um, you know, Kenyon Drake, you know, in the... 11 hole and you're in the 10 hole. Um, if you want Kenyon Drake, you got to take him now. You can't wait and hope he makes it around the corner because there's no way Nelson Sousa is going to pass on him twice. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. That's another key thing. Uh, a little bit bigger picture thing that you have to also consider Dan is your overall roster construction. So, um, and, and when the talent uh, fades out at certain positions, so, you know, I'm more likely to go heavy running back early because by the time you get to the end of the sixth round, there's really nobody worth drafting to me until you get to the 10th round. And it's a different kind of player. It's the kind of player who needs help to be uh, effective. So, again, you know, the great thing about the FFPC is you can have different types of builds. You know, if I've got three great running backs and I only have to start two, I don't have to take a fourth running back unless it's the best value. Uh, same thing at wide receiver. You know, it, it, um, I guess my point is that I really, uh, I really take the best player as much as I can using running back as a tiebreaker for the first six rounds so that I come out of the first six rounds with at least three running backs in most drafts, unless I'm doing a true, a zero running back draft. And then that means I'm also going to be targeting different types of running backs late. So um, yeah, I think overall draft construction, that's one tip that I have. Uh, how do you kind of look at it? Yeah, I look at it pretty similar and, you know, with the FFPC with the double flex, uh, you know, it does allow a lot of different builds to succeed, which is why you can see, um, you know, some people, drafting super heavy on running back early. And then you'll see other teams going, uh, 
zero RB, um, other teams going with a tight end heavy strategy, other teams going with, a, you know, I'm just going to take a couple late dart throws after the 13th round at tight end. Uh, you know, so all sorts of builds can succeed. You just have to understand what your odds are with the different kinds of builds. Uh, you know, like the zero RB builds, they're great, and they can often go really far in a tournament because if you hit, they tend to be huge hits. But on the other hand, uh, the chances that a zero RB team is going to hit are much, much less than uh, a heavy running back team. So, you know, if you're only putting a couple bullets in, Honestly, I would stay away from zero RB. Um, I would probably go towards a little bit more running back and tight end centric uh, build early in the draft and then start sprinkling in your wide receivers a little bit later. I mean, you know, and you can you can still draft a, a wide receiver early. Like, uh, you know, you can take uh, running back in the first, wide receiver in the second, and then take three more running backs or something like that and then uh, come back and hit wide receiver later and then just make it a late tight end build. You know, so there's different ways you can do it, but you definitely want to get, um, you know, if, you, if you've only got a couple bullets, you don't, you know, the zero RB build is probably not going to do the trick for you. You got low odds on it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, to me, I don't stress running back that much uh, this year. And that's because there's guys that I like in the third, fourth, fifth, and sometimes sixth round. So I know that if I go running back wide receiver, wide receiver, or running back uh, wide receiver, tight end, I'm still going to probably get three running backs that I like through the top six, seventh round. Uh, and because I'm yep. doing 10 to 15, I'm, I'm, I'm more willing to mix it up. But that's where the, a big advantage of doing multiple of these drafts, if you can afford it, is good uh, because you really know the ins and outs of where you can expect guys to be. You know, just like a best ball, when you do a lot of best balls, you know where the dips in value are and you know how to get, a, you know, to prepare for them, right? Like if you know that there's nobody good that you're going to like other than tight end, in the ninth and 10th round of a standard best ball, you know, I'm much more likely to take that sixth or seventh round tight end because I'm going to be forced to take someone I don't like at running back or wide receiver in the ninth or 10th. Um, it works that way when you do a lot of these drafts too. Uh, but it is important, um, you know, and the other thing about running back, you know, let's talk about magic tickets, Right. So, you know, you build your first 10 rounds to me to win your league. Most of your first 10 picks should be with, you know, w with the thought that I'm trying to win my league, get my money back and get into the tournament. The where the, you know, maybe if you think that, you know, like last year, Daryl Henderson, if you're sure that Todd Gurley's knees bad and and Daryl Henderson's going to be the guy, then by all means, take one guy in the first 10 rounds that is, you know, got that chance to win you the league. Uh, but, it, uh, you know, I know, and, and a lot, you mentioned the point about how all these guys know each other. I think it does give you an advantage because what they end up doing is what I call the Wiley Coyote. They're so eager to, you know, they know it'll piss Nelson off if they take, uh, X tight end in the seventh round because he's planning on taking him in the eighth round. Um, so they take him. Well, now Nelson maybe next draft is taking him in the seventh 
And then the, the draft after that, this guy's like, oh, I want to fuck with Nelson. Let me get him in the sixth round. So now this tight end who, you know, really does, you know, he was an eighth round pick. It was, he was a guy who, you know, had a good eighth round value. Now, now he's in the sixth round and you're now you're talking about needing his ceiling to come through rather than his floor. One of the advantages of these drafts, and this is what I meant when I said that value will fall to you because these guys are trying to kill themselves over a few guys, sometimes good values that you like slip through. Yeah, exactly. And you want to, you want to pick players that you like um, as well, especially if you're only doing a few of these, Um, you know, and you alluded to this earlier, but take players that you like uh, just because somebody has a player that you like on, on their fade list. If he's not on your fade list, then don't fade him. On the other hand, if somebody, you know, that you really respect likes a player a lot and you don't understand why, well, sure, you want to look in to see why why is it that they're so high on this player. But, it, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't agree with their analysis, uh, you know, take the player that you're high on rather than the player that they're high on. Build a team that you like, not a, a team that you think, uh, you know, uh, Nelson Sousa or David Hubbard or – Todd or Dan or somebody else likes, uh, you know, build your own team. Yeah. So a guy that I think that's happening with this year is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I've already mentioned the reasons why um, about rookies and, you know, he's going early to mid second round. I, I, I have no interest. I'm in a draft yesterday and all of a sudden I'm on the clock at three, five and he's there. So I took a share. Do I think that's a great spot for him? No, but I think it's as low as I'm going to see him. And I have a bunch of Damien teams, and this is where my best ball exposure philosophy comes into play. So, I will, you know, if I'm going to do 15 of these, having one Clyde Edward Hilaire is not going to hurt me. In fact, if those guys are right, and it's very well, they are – the top players in, in, in fantasy for a reason, if they're right about Hilaire and I've got zero shares, I'm going to hate life. So if I, if I take one out of 10, well, now I'm even weight on them. So I'm not going to hate life at even weight. Right. So, uh, you know, it goes to a larger point with ADP. You know, I don't have a fade list per se, like Nelson does. And, and I respect the hell out of Nelson, but I have a fade list at ADP. Now there are some guys who just aren't draft uh, because of age, because of injury. Uh, and Nelson's really good at that. And he's helped me with that. But when it comes to, um, you know, a guy like Clyde Edwards Hilaire, he's a complete fade for me in the second round, middle third round. He becomes, you know, not a, you know, if I was doing one league, he'd still be a fade. Early fourth round, yeah, I'll take a Clyde Edwards Hilaire. If I'm drafting, you know, one main event team and somehow he's he slips through to the fourth round, sure, I'll take him uh, in the fourth round. But I don't have a fade list per se. I just have a fade list at ADP. And and knowing that and doing a lot enough of these drafts so that when you're on the board with a minute in a live draft and you're staring at someone you're used to fading, you need to have a sense of whether he's a value uh, to where he's fallen or not. Yep, exactly. And, uh, you know, as, as the old saying goes, we don't hate players, we hate ADPs. 
So, uh, you know, if any, any player can be good if they come at the right ADP. Like I'm, yep. I'm not at all on the, you know, AJ green bandwagon. I think, uh, I just think he's, his body is broken down on him, but you know what, if he was available in the 11th or 12th round, I would definitely take him. But if he's available in the seventh or eighth round where he's commonly going, or even the sixth round, I want no part of him. Um, you yeah, know, so you just you have to make your decisions. Him. Eighth round, I'd look at him. You know, again, right. with that with that thought process of he's normally going in the sixth or seventh, you know, and, and that and that's the beautiful thing about it, uh, ADP and not liking a guy. Ninety percent of the time, ADP is going to take care of that problem for you, right? You're right. just not going to take. It. There's other guys you like better. There's three, four, five guys you like better. There, you're not. You're not going to take them. If you get up in the eighth round, though, and that's kind of like with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, borderline value for you. Yeah, why not take one share? Because yep. the other nine times you're in a draft, he's not going to be there. That being said, you know who else is on the board? I might still pass on him in the eighth round. I'll at least consider him. And getting one share so that my, you know, 10 to 15 teams, I'm not completely bereft of a player who still, if he does stay healthy, you know, was being drafted in the first, second round a year or two ago. Um, the other, the next thing I want to talk about is that 10th to 20th round strategy. Let, let's finish up with a couple points on how to handle the 10th to the 15th, uh, 10th to the 20th rounds. So the one important thing is this is where you want to get a couple guys. I would say in the, in the 10th to 20th round, you want three to four guys, you know, don't take a Cole Beasley. You know, if, if I'm in a draft with you and I see you take a Cole Beasley, I'm going to look at your roster to just make sure you're not an idiot. You know, like maybe you've got all, you know, explosive guys and you want one safe guy. But don't take a Cole Beasley. I mean, the chances of him winning you anything are almost nothing. Um, you know, don't take, you know, like a guy like Malcolm Brown, you know, I, can, I won't say don't take him. But even if he wins the job, he's probably in a timeshare. And um, the chances of him winning it are very small. Um, you know, I might take him once in a while in the 17th or 18th. But give me the rookie running backs. This, you know, that tenth to fifteenth round. That's where these rookie running backs, who are, who who weren't first or second round picks, um, or, and sometimes you know the the third to fifth round running backs. This is where they go, and I want two to three of them in every draft because they are the dart that can win you a tournament. Um, that you know, if if. Uh, Kelly, the guy from San Diego, if Justin Jackson um, gets hurt and then Austin, you know, and, and before the season and now he's playing and he's paying off his 13th round ADP. And then all of a sudden you get to the playoffs and Eckler gets hurt too. All right. Well, now that guy is a guy who can win you $500,000 running back these late. And because rookies who haven't played much, at the running back position, you know, we all know running backs is the position that's easiest to step into. Uh, you know, they're, they're, running backs are the most NFL ready of any position. Uh, this is where you take a lot of your running back darts. Yeah, I agree with that. This, um, and especially at this time of year, 
and that's one thing that really changes as you you go through um, you know the summer and you start getting into training camps there becomes a lot more clarity so the types of players that you're going to take in the late rounds is going to change right now getting a, a lot of those lottery tickets make a lot of sense another thing that you can do um, that makes a lot of sense right now is and, like and let me with, just jump uh, in real quick and say and that's why you only draft one quarterback one kicker and one defense especially at this time of year yes absolutely uh if you're drafting a a a second kicker second defense uh you're definitely doing it wrong and in most cases if you draft that second quarterback there's a good chance you're doing it wrong um but the other thing you can you can do in the later rounds is at wide receiver like here's a great example, and this this kind of goes towards uh, the old Todd concept of the stack cuff. But uh, you know, like an Alan Lazard and a Devin Funchess. Uh, you know, no matter what you think of Devin Funchess, um, you know he came out into the league with draft capital associated with him. Uh, you know, NFL teams thought highly enough that they pushed his draft capital up to that round, even though he hasn't really fired so much. And Alan Lazard has no draft capital, but you're looking at a Green Bay offense that added nothing at wide receiver. And so you have Devontae Adams, and then you have these two guys. One of them is probably going to pay off a late-round um, ADP. So if you can grab both Lazard and Funchess and then just hold them and find out you know, where the targets are going, this is, this is the way you want to go uh, for your late-round wide receiver targets. Um, another one I see often is Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. Um, you know, both of them can probably do pretty well. And, and you can even throw uh, Jalen Rager in there because you can probably get him after the 10th round as well. Uh, you know, so if you want to, if you want to stack all three Philly wide receivers right now and just know that, you know, three or four weeks in, you're probably going to drop one or two of them and keep the most productive one. That's a perfectly good strategy. Yep. I, I think uh, another one to look at is how to handle late tight ends. So tight, you know, you mentioned the key point, you know, people think, well, this is a 1.5 tight end. I need three tight ends. Well, you, you need three tight ends who are going to get targets or if there's an injury might get targets, right? Uh, it's also a position where rookies uh, typically take the longest to develop what you're looking for is that guy who, you know, like I'm big on John o. Smith this year. I know there's some concerns about overall targets, but he's an explosive guy. You know, if he gets four or five catches a game, you know, he's also the type, he's not a catch the ball and fall down type. Um, so when once you get past, say, Irv Smith and ADP, a lot of times I feel this need to, dra- uh, to draft the third tight end but the chance of them actually doing anything for me is very, very small. And I'm learning to just stick with two good ones because, you know, one of the key thoughts you want in it when you're thinking about who to take is, you know, week four, what's the chance that this guy or someone exactly like him is just going to be sitting there on waivers. So when, when I look at a, Jacob Hollister, a Trey Burton, um, you know, Kyle Rudolph, a a little bit I like, but, you know, uh, even Dawson Knox, I mean, I just don't see a lot of volume there. A Gerald Everett, uh, a Devin Asiasi, 
being a rookie, Cole Komet, I just saw in the 13th round. I mean, I don't see any value in taking those guys as a third tight end because I believe with all my heart there will be a tight end. If I need a starter in week four because my tight ends got hurt or at one's hurt, one's on by, I believe with all my heart there will be somebody with the same profile as those guys on waivers. What you're looking for to draft in those late rounds is guys, yeah, they need a break. They need a break to get the opportunity, but if they get the opportunity, they can crush. Because what you don't want to do is draft somebody like a Cole Beasley, not a bad player, but I can guarantee you last year, most of the most of the season, Cole Beasley was on waivers. And I guarantee you, most of the year, this year in your league, Cole Beasley is going to be on waivers. And if he's not, there'll be five or six other receivers who can probably jump in for a bye week for you on waivers who you can get with the same profile as Cole Beasley. Don't draft guys like that in, a, in, in any redraft, but especially in a tournament. Dan? Exactly. Yeah. You know, because you know what, if Cole Beasley is on probably, you know, Hunter Renfro or Steven Sims or somebody like that, as you said, you know, they're going to be on the waiver wire um, and they'll be the type of person that you can throw in there. There's always, there's always wide receivers in the FFPC. You can get like on any given week that can give you a reasonable chance for 10 to 12 points. And sometimes that's really all you need um, out of a final flex spot or whatever. So, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I don't really put a ton into late wide receivers unless there's a specific reason why I'm drafting them. Same thing as you were talking about with tight end. There needs to be a specific reason why you're taking this person this late. You know, if you believe that Jay Gruden is a tight end whisperer, and you think Tyler Eifert has passed his injury concerns, then by all means, go ahead and take him in the, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th round. Uh, You know, if you're wrong, it's not going to cost you much, but, you know, there's at least a reason why you're throwing that dart, Um, you know, and while, you know, and the reason needs to make sense to you. Like Todd might say, well, I think Eifert's a terrible value. And well, that's fine for Todd's team, but you know, if I like him, then I'm going to take him. And maybe Todd will be right. Maybe I'll be right. But, you know, either way, whichever one of us is wrong, you know, I, if if I'm wrong, I can drop him after three or four weeks and I can pick up somebody else. So, you know, don't yeah, don't worry too much about what particular people think about him. Just take take the players that make sense to you. Right. But just make sure that they have the upside and right. that you won't just, you know, never take a guy. Because you say to yourself, well, he can fill in a bye week for me. Right. You you know, the only position that you can even entertain that thought is running back. Because the one position you can't pick up guys on waivers that you can just plug in and start is running back. Every other position in the FFPC. And that's why you see teams with six, seven, eight running backs out of 20. Because – they want to make sure that every week they're starting someone who is going to give them points. Um, and that, and the teams that don't have that, you know, you're going to be able to beat because, you know, you might get 15 points versus two and now they've got to make up 13 points with the rest of their team. Uh, you know, but quarterback wide receiver, tight end kicker in defense, you'll find somebody 
who will on waivers almost every week who you can hold your nose and start. And you wanted to talk, I know, uh, a little bit about kicker and defense strategies, Uh, you know, not only just not taking one, but, um, you know, whether, you know, like there's a lot of people who say, well, you know, you should your your last two picks should be your kicker and your defense. They're not important. Well, that's true to a certain point, but uh, they do actually score points for you, so they do matter. Um, you know, your your kicker is going to be every bit as important as your second flex position. Um, you know, so there's nothing wrong with prioritizing a kicker or defense um, if you feel like they're, you know, they're going to score well. You know, like there's a reason why Justin Tucker gets drafted in the, you know, 13th, 14th, 15th round a lot. That's because, you know, number one, he's a guy you can rely on. Number two, he plays for an offense. It's going to give him lots of opportunities. And number three, uh, when you start going through the weekly uh, free agents and doing your fab bids, if if you're having to stream kicker and stream defense, you're going to bleed fab all season long until you, you finally hit on that one that, you know, really works. And sometimes you don't even hit on that one that really works. Um, you know, so everybody says, oh, I can just stream it. Well, you can, but there is a cost to that. You know, the the, the guy who drafts Justin Tucker, uh, you know, and then a defense like Pittsburgh or Baltimore or something like that, uh, you know, the odds that they're going to spend very much on kicker and defense on fab is very small. So they're going to have more money available, uh, you know, for that really prime free agent that comes up because of a, you know, an unexpected injury or whatever. So, uh, you know, it's a good way to save fab. Absolute, absolutely great point. I will add in how I handle it, which is every draft by the end of the 15th round, I typically have one kicker and uh, e- either a kicker or a defense, depending on, and, and typically it tends to be a kicker because guys start reaching for defenses before kicker. And both of them are equally high variance, um, but I feel really safe with Butker and Justin Tucker. And once you get past the top one or two defenses or three defenses, to me, there's really like five or six defenses that I've got all in the same area. Uh, So I'm, you know, this year uh, I'm mostly taking a kicker in the 14th. Um, Sometimes it'll be the 15th and then I'll take a defense somewhere between the 17th and the 20th, depending again uh, on what I'm about to talk about next, which is tiers. So I won't draft a kicker as long as there's someone uh, on my board that I really like. Uh, a guy, uh, that, that, that might be a guy like Brashad Perriman right now. Um, typically going in the 13th, 14th round. Um, now, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I look at my wide receivers and I got six that I really like, um, no, I won't. T- I'll take a kicker over Brashad Perriman. When I look at doing this, the key thing is I want to make sure all the running backs see because I'm in these drafts with these animals. I more take four to five running backs I really like in the top uh, eleven rounds, and I get a guy with that fifth running back who I, you know, who's got a role and an uh, every, not an every down role, but an every game role right now, uh, a Boston Scott type. Okay. Right. Then there's your darts, the Kelly's, the AJ Dillon's, the Anthony McFarland's, 
the DJ Dallas's. Typically, I won't take a kicker until that group has thinned out and gone away. Because once they've gone away, that, there's no more running backs. Then you're really taking darts or just pure backups. Um, yep. So once that tier of running backs is gone, I look at my tight ends and my wide receivers. Do I have two good tight ends? Do I have five good wide receivers or six? That's when I'll take the kicker. Okay. When it's thinned out to the point where, and some, and you know what, if I have to go late kicker, late defense, I will, but I won't take just a absolute pure throw at a, a running back or wide receiver and what I mean by that is Brashad Perriman's going to be a starter. He might be the number one receiver on that team. You could argue him or Crowder. The chance to get a number one receiver in the 13th, 14th round is more valuable to me than a kicker. Um, but if it's just the Cole Beasley types and the Reggie Bonifan types, the guys who, you know, either, you know, then I'll, ta- I'll, I'll take my one kicker or my one defense. And then when I get to the 17th round, again, I look at what's there and I say, am I better off taking a defense that I like here or continuing to take people, you know, is uh, the, the old thought of if I take the defense now, will the guy I'm going to get in the 20th round where I would take my defense be about as much of a dart throw as what I'm going to take here in the 17th? If the answer is yes, then I take my defense. And I feel that there's a significant advantage every week by doing it that way. Um, and I think the whole you don't take a running a, a kick or a defense too early comes from standard redraft leagues where guys are taking them in the 10th, 11th, 12th rounds. It's ridiculous. But in the 14th or 15th round of a 20th round draft, that's when you would normally be taking your kicker and defense in a standard 16 round draft. So uh, uh, to me, that's my thought processes. I know I rambled a bit, but I, I think it's important. Dan? Yep, right there with you. Um, you know, there's if you do enough of these drafts, you kind of – you know where the zone is, where the ADP on the remaining running backs, kickers uh, – or excuse me, running backs, uh, wide receivers, and tight ends – tends to get really fuzzy and it, you know, and that's the point where you want to start looking at your kicker and your, your defense, because, you know, you can take a look at a, a Paris Campbell or an Alan Lazard or a LaVisca Chenault, and you wouldn't be surprised to see them go in the 15th round and you wouldn't be surprised to see them go in the 19th or 20th round, you know, and when it's that fuzzy, there's not much advantage to trying to prioritize taking those guys because likely there's going to be somebody that you like available in the 18th, 19th and 20th round still at running back wide receiver or tight end. Whereas the kickers, um, you know, you're, you're definitely into a different uh, tier of kicker than what you were in the 14th and 15th, 15th round. Yep. Ultimately, Dan, it comes down to what we were talking about earlier, building a team that can get to the tournament and that also has the ability to win the tournament. And, and, and how much that balance shifts depends on your exposure, number of teams you're going to have, and your own personal risk-reward philosophy. And I think that is the summary of everything here. I think we've given people a lot of great things to think about 
um, as they think about uh, going after some of these tournaments. And the other thing I'll say is, it, you know, last year in draft, when, where you had a $25 tournament, all these things that we're talking about, if we get a tournament like that at some point this year for best ball, all these things we've talked about will also work in best ball uh, tournaments, the tournament part of it. Um, and I know uh, that, you know, that that's kind of it uh, for me, Dan. Do you have any last thoughts? Yeah, I just had one last thought. Um, you know what? I want to talk real quickly about the bye weeks um, during the playoffs. So a lot of times week 12 um, is when we see bye weeks, but not in week 13. This year it's reversed. There are no buys in week 12 and there are buys in week 13. And I think that's going to change how we want to approach this as we're building teams, especially with those uh, two teams on by Carolina and Tampa Bay. You know, there's obviously some marquee players that uh, are on those teams. You've got uh, Christian McCaffrey, um, Chris uh, Godwin and uh, Mike Evans, you know, probably the, the most important three DJ Moore, Absolutely. You know, and, the way you need to be thinking about it, you know, a lot of, a lot of times people see, Oh, well, week 12 or 13 by, I'm going to shy away from those players. This is the year you do not want to shy away from those players because of the fact that you're going to have them for all 11 weeks of the regular season. So you're going to have a much better chance to get yourself into the first two seeds. And those first two seeds are automatic advances into the, the final championship run in weeks 14, 15, and 16. So it really doesn't even matter, you know, as far as the the championship run, it doesn't matter what happens to your team in weeks 12 and 13, because you've already secured your seed for that. And then what makes it even more attractive to go ahead and, and just keep targeting those players is you don't have to worry about it in week 12, because again, you're going to have your entire team available to you in week 12, which is going to put you in the top two, which is going to put you in the money. Uh, you know, even if you, if, if you fall on your face because you had, McCaffrey carrying your team and you lose in week 13, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to win $500 and you're going to more than make back your investment. So I, you I don't have to want to. You. I, I have to interrupt you for a sec. My understanding is that if you're a fourth seed and you win in the semifinals, you do not automatically get a buy. It's the two teams that finish the regular season in first and second place get the buy. And you, do yeah. and you do have to win your league if you're the three or four seed. So there, there is a little bit. But to me, it's no different than what it was. It's just that the weeks have changed. If you were concerned yeah. about it last year, you need to be concerned about it this year. But the goal is to finish in the top two. And basically, that's the best record and the most points. Um, now, if the best, I forget how it works out, if the guy with the best record also has the best points, who gets the second seed. But whoever gets the top two seeds at the end of the regular season, get the automatic buy. If you win your league, even if you're the three or four seed, you get into the tournament. And if you finish with the most points, well, then obviously you're the second seed. Right. And. I guess the, the the important point I'm trying to make is McCaffrey is going to score for you all 11 weeks uh, during the regular season. Whereas if you take Saquon Barkley, um, he's only going to score 10 weeks. So you've got a better chance of finishing first or second. If you go McCaffrey, than if you say, well, I'm, I'm scared about that buy in the, uh, the playoffs. 
and then you take Barkley, you've got not maybe quite as good a chance at winning the, you know, getting the first or second seed. So you kind of have to take that into account. And that's why I think it's a little bit different this year. It's a, it's a subtle twist on strategy, but I think it's important. Yep. And, and you have to decide what's more important. And that's where your decision on what's more important to you, getting into the tournament. I mean, if you're not that great of a team and you get into the tournament, you might not win any money. Right. Right. But if you come, if you win that uh, semifinal week, you get $500 and the chance to win a thousand dollars and the chance to advance. So yeah. You know, you have to decide how important week 13 is to you versus somebody else. Uh, to me, you know, again, if I'm if I'm doing one or two teams, I'd rather win the 500 and the thousand and not make the tourney than the other way around. Like last year in the hard way, I got 500 bucks and I didn't get to go to the tourney. Well, my team was all hurt in the tourney. I wouldn't have won a penny. Uh, but in, you know, I got 500 bucks back on my 350 investment. So to me, I, I was happy. Now, another guy yep. might say, all I care about is winning $500,000. I don't care at all what happens in week 13, right? I'm doing 50 <laughs> teams, you know, be nice to win week 13. But, uh, you know, like you said, give me Christian McCaffrey, give me DJ Moore. But the one thing I've noticed, Dan, is absolutely no discount on Carolina and Tampa Bay since uh, the schedule's been announced. Yeah, and I think it's for that reason. I think most of the players have correctly figured out that um, with a with a thirteen buy, there's less of a penalty than there is for the twelve buy because if you've you know if you can make it to week thirteen, uh, you've put a floor of five hundred dollars under your team, and you know. That's that's huge to be able to say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a profit on this team no matter what, um, you know. So that's why I think we're not seeing the discount there, um, you know. Now I I understand, you know, people might want to do things differently on their builds and kind of mix things up, but you know, early on early on in the draft, I don't think you want to do too much mixing up and especially not factoring in those bye weeks. I, I just don't think it makes as much sense as it normally does this year. Dan, as always, great to have you on the podcast. We've, as normal, we've gone about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, I want to thank you for uh, being the returning hero. You can find Dan on Twitter at Overhype Sleeper. Lose the last E in Sleeper. Dan is the co host of the Goat District Pod, which is one of the best dynasty podcasts out there. Uh, go to Dan's timeline, check out the Goat Pod. He has a lot of great guests on that podcast, guys that you don't hear on every podcast, you know, the big names. Um, a, a lot of guys like Dan and myself who work really hard and are very smart, and you can pick up tips that you might not get on the average podcast. Uh, I also uh, want to say that you got a new podcast, Dan, uh, a best ball podcast, so they should check that out as well. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Todd. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And, uh, you know, just it, it, it gets my juices flowing to, to be talking these uh, FPC championships. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to enter a couple more. So um, thanks again for the yeah. opportunity and uh, good. 
good luck to you as you are going through and doing yours. Yep. Thank you so much. That's going to do it. We'll catch you next time on the Run to Daylight podcast. Have a good day, everyone.